to the MEC English Service Podcast. For more resources or information about our church, Mideast Evangelical Church, visit mec.church. Okay, so the verses for this week are Isaiah 7, 10 through 17. And they say, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. Is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and on your people and the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. So we're going to be camping out today talking about this idea of Emmanuel. Sometimes it's spelled with an E like it was in that song. Sometimes it's with an I. Um, But Sunday School Answers, what does Emmanuel mean? God with us. And we usually correlate it with Jesus. That's good. So um, we just read where that phrase originally comes from. Um, And so turn to the person next to you and tell them, who is this verse talking about? Ready, go. Tell the person behind you. Okay, before we share answers, what's like the good Sunday school answer this verse is talking about? Jesus in our hearts. Um, good. Um, so, but the thing is, if you uh, were following along contextually, then you might know um, that maybe one of the answers is Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Yeah? Which translates to, this is my favorite part, it translates, like the little note in the NIV says, that translates to quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. I'm like, how's that for a name, right? Um, Quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. Um, But then in Matthew, about Jesus' birth, Matthew quotes Isaiah 7.14 and says, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So who does Matthew think this verse is talking about? Jesus. Good. Now, in the context of Isaiah, probably about 500 years before Jesus, who's Isaiah probably talking about? Yeah, maybe the Messiah or Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Um, If we look at the context clues, think about the verse that we just read. Ready? We've got like the main verse up in here. Um, And he will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong um, and choose the right. If you were following along in your, like, Bibles that you actually have on your phone and you flipped ahead to the next chapter, you would discover that Isaiah um, makes a baby with the prophetess after this and gives him the name Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Um, And after that, um, it does the whole eating curds and honey and, like, that whole thing. So in the immediate context... It seems like Isaiah is giving this prophecy that Meher Shalal Hashbaz will be born. And then guess what? He is born. 
And then the things that he says will happen back here, that like those other kings that are bothering you won't bother you anymore, that does happen after Meher Shalal Hashbaz is born. Before, or not before he's born, but before he, um, before he grows up. So this is like a, a weird thing in scripture where sometimes we have a text which like one person in the Bible will be like, it's about this thing. And then there's another person in the Bible who'll be like, it's about this thing. Um, so let's talk about the immediate thing first, like the, the Isaiah version of the story before we get to the Jesus version of the story. Now, this is, like for those of you who pay close attention, which king um, was, were these words being spoken to? King Ahaz, yeah, um, or Ahaz, as I grew up saying it. Um, but Ahaz, um, this was the king that it was being spoken to. Was King Ahaz a good king? Does anybody know? Good. Context clues. The title says an evil king. Good, good. We're tracking. Um, so the evil king Ahaz, um, his dad wasn't, wasn't too bad of a guy. Um, this is, uh, wait, is it Josiah or Hezekiah? Shoot. My Bible trivia, it's slipping. Um, but his dad was like one of the decent kings. However, when he rose to power, he like he started raising up altars to the gods of the Canaanites. Um, and some of the reports, like the, depending on how you read the way that he did these things, it could mean that he engaged in ritual sacrifice again, um, whether it was through temple prostitution, um, that might have been a thing that got integrated, or child sacrifice to the god Molech. It could be that this is one of the things that happened as a result of Ahaz's reign. And I think it's interesting, like, when I, when I read this, like, if I didn't know that background context, it would seem like, okay, cool. Isaiah is just delivering, like, an encouraging message, like, you're the king of Judah. You can do it. Good job, buddy. Um, but, like, Isaiah is talking to a king who has repeatedly done evil, terrible things, and he is still walking in, delivering a message of hope, saying that these other armies, these other kingdoms that are, are threatening to destroy you, don't freak out, man. Right? Don't, like, you don't have to worry because God has promised that he's going to take care of this thing for you. This thing in the immediate situation, this immediate crisis that's in your face, um, God has made a way so that these other armies that are bothering you won't anymore. And, like, historically, he ends up using the Assyrians and the Egyptians to, to swoop in and rescue Judah from these other two foreign armies. So there's this, like, one, there's like this kind of beautiful thing happening here where like even like the worst possible guy, God is still willing to speak to this king who's done terrible, terrible things. He's still willing to like reach out to him through the prophet, give him encouragement and speak truth to him saying um, there's going to be this thing that happens. And at the heart of it is this idea that God with us, right? Emmanuel is at the center of this truth. Now, um, it might be like, okay, cool. So that's a, a strange ancient story. Like, is that it? Like, is that all that's going on here? And I think that in, when we come to these types of passages, this isn't the only one, but there's, um, there's like both a now and a later to these types of passages. Um, and I think that like in my skeptical Bible school version of me, I was like, so they're just making stuff up. Like it was really about this thing, but then they made it about this other thing. It, they said it was like this thing that's happening, but it's really about this other thing that's happening. Um, and then I grew up and I read some more and I realized that like that's all literature. 
think about it. Like those of you who, um, I think it was, it's senior year English where you have to read Heart of Darkness. And like, it's this story that it's about like the, the slave trade and like mining in Africa. But, but realistically, there's also this other thing going on where it's talking about the darkness of humanity. It's almost always like there's, there's a story that's on the surface that's definitely real, but then there's like a deeper reality under that story that is also very real. And it seems like God, through the prophets, oftentimes employed this methodology. He's like, yep, I'm going to give you this prophecy, and it's going to be about Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Um, and this guy in the past, at this specific point in time, that's the narrative. But then there's this like undercurrent where it's like all of us, humanity needs saving. Right? Not just King Ahaz needs Emmanuel. Not just the people of Israel in the 500s BC needs God with us, but like humanity needs God with us. So there's this surface story, and then there's this undercurrent that's also there. Um, when the original makers of Now and Later um, invented them, um, it's because, one, you shouldn't eat the entire sleeve of Now and Laters in that moment because you'll need to go to the dentist immediately. Um, but so then when they said, like, it's Now and Later because you'll want some for now, and you'll want some for later. And with Emmanuel, I think that this is what's going on. You need, like, they needed some Emmanuel in 500 BC. They needed it pretty hardcore. But, like, people also needed Emmanuel later. And this is what Matthew is picking up on, that, like, yes, Emmanuel needs to happen both now and later. And in Christianity, we use, we use these types of terms. Like, maybe you've, if you've sat through a good number of sermons, you've probably seen things like um, the already but not yet kingdom. Right? Like this idea that the kingdom of God is here, that that God's reign, what God wants to do here on earth, has already happened. It's already accessible. It's already right here. But then on the other side, we still look forward to a future time where we're like, because there still is like human trafficking, because there still is bullying, because there still is exploitative economic practices, because we live in a world where the kingdom isn't fully reigning. So yeah, like the kingdom is here, but it's not here. You know what I'm saying? Like that both of these realities are true, that it's now we can, we can say this is a thing that's now, but then also be like, ooh, but we need more of this for later, right? Um, or the idea that Christ has set us free in like a very final past tense type of thing. Like Christ, because of what he did on the cross, has totally liberated you and freed you from the powers of sin. You're free, completely free. But then like Tuesday hits and you're like, dude, I am not free. You know what I mean? Tuesdays, am I right? Mondays are overrated. Um, But I think that, like, that's what happens, is that there's a truth to the already, but then there's also a lingering, but there's something deeper. There's something more that's needed here. So, like, in this text, we see, like, both the immediate and the universal being talked about. The immediate Emmanuel, God with us, talking to Ahaz, um, and referencing Meher Halal, Hashbaz. Um, but then there's also this universal that humanity needs, Emmanuel. Not this one little baby that is Isaiah's kid, right? But they need another baby that is much more universal in scope to the impact. And so um, what we need to do then is say, okay, God with us. Like, if you've been in the church long enough, this phrase has, like, has probably been said about a hundred times. What does that actually mean? Right? Even sometimes in our prayers, we say, God, please be with us today. But, like, at the same time, our theology is, 
no, God's always with us. Like, we can't get away from him, you know what I mean? It's not like you can be like, God, no coming into my day today until I say you can. Um, so what does it mean, God with us? Like, what does it mean literally? What does it mean for the way we experience life? What does it mean for the way that we practically live things out? And so this is what I'm hoping to get into today. Um, but in order to do this, we need to know, like, what these three words mean. God with us. Really quick, before we jump in, I think probably the biggest, like, most controversial thing um, is not controversial, but, like, I guess in our society controversial. Like, how do you define what is God? Um, turn to the person next to you and tell them, like, give them, like, the your version of the dictionary definition. God is blank. Don't give me attributes. Don't give me, like, quoting verses from the Bible, but, like, what is God? Go. Define it. Go. All right, guys, what's God? God is everything, like my shoes? Okay, everything that's living, that's called pantheism. Um, it's fine, though. Like, but, like, so there are, there's a good chunk, like, at least half of India's population agrees with that statement. That God is everything, living. Um, actually, he, they would probably say that God is my shoes also. Yeah, okay, sorry. Sorry, India. Sorry, Hinduism. Um, good. Okay, an ultimate being. I think, like, and then we can list, like, all and fully, like, on top of that. But this ultimate being. Um, in fact, like, when, when Moses comes to God and says, hey, what's your name, bro? What does God say? Yeah, he just says, I am. I am isness. I am essence. I am being itself. Right? Not, so like God is, in, in that answer, like he's kind of explaining why like you have trouble with this answer because God is like, stop. Like that's kind of a silly game because I'm, I'm beyond what you can say. Um, but let me tell you what we at least can say. Um, and, and I found that the more that I try to, like, accurately define God, because, like, usually this is, like, when you're trying to make a defense for God, which I do some apologetic-y stuff, um, when you're trying to make a defense for God, people beg for definitions, but the more I dig into those definitions, the more my brain hurts. So here, um, first, like, when I say that God is isness, God is essence, God is that which is when nothing else was. It's not like God was chilling in space before he made us. And he was like, wow, space is pretty awesome. Let's make some things. But space wasn't. You know what I mean? Like time, space, energy, matter, quarks, particles, antelope, like nothing was just God. So God is that which exists and is even if there is nothing else. If there is no universe, if there is no multiverse, it's not like he's in a separate dimension. Like, no dimensions, no space, no time, no energy, no matter, God is. So it's important that we start there, because when we talk about, like, this God that exists that we relate with, like, this being is totally different from you and me, is totally different from anything else that we experience in the universe. So this God was 
before there was even time itself. Like, so logically prior, if those of you who are being technical. Um, and this God, who was always, is infinite in so many different ways. This God um, existed eternally without other creation and will always exist eternally. This God is, um, as far as like power, there is no limitations to the power of God. Um, now, like there are logical limitations, like God can't make a rock so big that it crushes him, or like God can't make a square circle, like these types of things. Um, but like as far as that which is like logically possible, God can do all those things, right? He's infinitely powerful. In addition to that infinite power, he's infinitely wise. And so like I've noticed that with, with our daughter, um, there are certain things that you can like pick up on cues and we can be like, Seji is going to do behavior X because she's in situation Y with stimulus Z. Um, so like she's in this room with these people and that toy, a fight's about to happen, right? Like we can predict the future and sometimes you feel like you're really, really smart. Um, but this God that is infinite, that was before there was anything, like knows all of the contingencies, knows all of the potential paths for everything, everywhere. Like the millions of different things that can happen of like me doing this versus me doing this. Like everything that happened in the molecules in the air, God's like, yeah, I got all that data in here and I can handle it. So this is the being that we talk about when we say God with us. The God who is not overwhelmed by everything happening in the universe and being aware of all of it at the same time. Right? There's parts of our universe that we can't even see because it's traveling faster than the speed of light away from us. And God's like, I know what's going on there too. And I'm totally not overwhelmed. It's totally fine. And so that, that essence, that someone, that who, right? That person. And like when I say person, I don't mean like a human being, but that like intelligence and consciousness is the God we talk about when we talk about God. And so that thing bigger than time, space, energy, matter itself, that thing is with us. Um, and so I think that, like, oftentimes, then the natural thing that for people to do would be like, okay, this type of being, like, obviously lives in some other dimension. Because that, like, there, this, this universe is a little bit of a strange place for that type of being to dwell. But this God, as we read through Scripture, is actively involved, like, is hanging out in this universe, Right? is hanging out in the lives of people, is like doing things and orchestrating pieces and talking to people and giving them dreams and visions and like lining things up and doing a lot of things in human history. But not only that, like it's not just that there, this God is tinkering with the universe that he's made, um, but this God like put on flesh and blood and said, hey, I'm going to be with you guys in a way that you can understand. Because I find that when I stay with my definition of this God that was before the universe existed or this infinite eternal being, when I like, when I talk to this God, like while I'm eating my cereal in the morning, it just feels like, how can we even relate, bro? You know what I mean? Like, you're so different. Like, I don't even know how to talk to you because you're just so different from me. Um, and even like the idea of having a relationship with this God, it's kind of like, how do you have a relationship with like this immense, powerful being that like defies our understanding of time, matter, and energy? So this God foresaw that problem and was like, all right, fine. I'll put on flesh and blood. I'll grow a beard. 
I'll be born naked and awkward, just like the rest of you. In fact, like, I'll, I'll be born in a situation that no one would envy. I'll, I'll be born of a couple and be perceived as an illegitimate child and be born into a stable um, and then be raised in, like, one of the, the trashiest towns of ancient Israel, um, which, by the way, was one of the most oppressed people groups in ancient times. And he's like, I'll hang out there. I'll put on flesh and blood in that context so that, like, we can get each other. How's that? And for this, he's like, okay, well, like now, it's like, but I'm not a first century Jew. You know what I mean? So like, I can't walk with, I can't walk with this guy with the beard. Um, so what about me? But then he's like, yeah, but not just that, but like after he leaves, he says, it's good that I leave because I'm going to send someone after me, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, who will live in you. So this God, this creator of the universe, the maker of all things, who defies all of these boundaries, is not just willing to put on flesh and blood, but is also like, I'm going to live in you. Like, I'll be in your thoughts, like in your body, in your essence. I will integrate myself with you, and we'll hang out, provided you give me an invite. And so this God is with, right? This God is not distant. But this God is with. And this withness of this God, I think that like with also has like a secondary definition, not just about location, but like there's a connoted, like there's an implied definition to with. Um, and I automatically think of Aragorn, son of Arathorn, um, from the Lord of the Rings. And like Aragorn, he's not just like locationally with them. Um, the, this like last contingency of, of humans, elves, and dwarves that are standing against the Black Gate of Mordor. Um, my nerd is coming out. Um, but he's like, he's with them. He's charging forward on their side. Right? No matter who the enemies are, Aragorn is with his folks in the same mission on their side fighting for them. And this God that we have is not only like locationally around, chilling in our hearts, dwelling in first century Palestine, um, tinkering with the universe, but he's saying, I'm on your side. I'm working it out for y'all, right? And it's important to note that our enemies are not like other human beings because God, it turns out, is on their side also. He wants what's best for your enemies too. And so this is where like the shift happens is because like we know that God is and God is with, but then like God is with who? us. Note that it's not Emmanuel means God with me. God is with who? Us. Like, the difference there is that it's, I think sometimes, especially, like, I think that there's some beautiful, like, cool stuff about modern American individualism that, like, really motivates people to go after their dreams and ambitions. However, um, I also think that this comes with, like, a catch-22 where, it's like, cool, because of this individual motivation, we've also isolated ourselves from community. Like, we're around people, but not connected. We're in the presence of other humans, but not, like, actually with other humans. And it turns out that this is how God says, like, in Jesus, it's God with us, plural. God with plural us. Like, not just with you as an isolated individual, but God in you and your community. Right? God on the side of humanity, like working it out for good. And this is the message of Christmas, is that God said, yes, I'm going to move in, not just for like you as an individual, but for all of y'all. 
And if we think about the Christmas story and think about our cheesy little manger scenes that we set up in our homes, um, mine is cheesy. Maybe yours isn't. Our manger scenes that we have at home. Um, there's like ob- the obvious characters like the angel and Mary and Joseph and baby Jesus. But they don't, Jesus doesn't just move into the life of Mary and Joseph. In the story, who else is present in the manger scene? Shepherds and wise men, right? Uh, now, the wise men came a couple years later, but we'll let them in for this story. Um, but the shepherds were social religious outcasts who couldn't participate in society. God with shepherds. God with the outcast. We have the, we have the wise men who are like foreign people who are probably not even Jews doing astrology, which is forbidden according to the Jewish religion. So we have people in the wrong country, wrong Wrong country, wrong religion, and God says, invites for you too. God with you too. God with y'all. God with everybody. So in the story of Jesus, there's these like concentric expanding rings of what it means for God to be with all of us. It's not just God with this group or this person, but God with us. And our concept of who is us gets to expand like, this is the gospel, that, like, God is not just with a, a select tiny group of people or with a single individual, but the mission, mission of God in the world is that God is with us, and our concept of us progressively increases and expands. Um, and so, like, think practically. Like, if you know this truth, that God is with us, like, if you knew and you allowed that knowledge to, like, migrate its way down um, into your, like, experiential knowledge, think practically, how might that change your perspective on some stuff, right? If the creator of the universe, like, that mind-blowingly unfathomable thing, person, essence, is, like, there with you while you're stressing about your finals— while you're, like, complaining about your homework? Like, imagine what kind of, like, mental shift can occur when you put this in perspective of the fact that, like, that being is like, I got you. I'm on your side. I'm with you. Now, disclaimer, it does not mean that you will get an A on that final because the creator of the universe is with you. But what it does do is it shifts our perspective. You know what I mean? Like, it shifts our perspective. So, like... To one, not despair. To know that if this God can bring a universe into existence out of nothing, um, then like maybe my lack of preparation and failing one exam is not going to be the end of the universe and all good things that could happen. Right? It keeps us from inflating even the importance of our own story and remembering that it's about us as humanity. Right? Not just about stepping on the heads of others and being better than them. Or, like, if we think about, like, work confrontations, like, we don't need to fear the bullies, whether they're at school or at work, right? Because we know that the creator of the universe is with us in that endeavor and in us to give us creative ideas on how to deal with this. Um, That family awkwardness that occurs sometimes, like, at um, when, like, the weird uncle comes in um, to the the Christmas gift exchange, and you're like, oh, we always get into an argument because they bring up politics, and then we try to not talk about it, but then he talks about it anyway. Like, God is with us in that conversation, too. The creator of the universe, who's more powerful than anything, who's willing to get into our dirt, is like, yeah, I'm with you, like, when you're carving the ham and you want to change the subject. I'm with you, right? Um, 
selfishness and vanity is banished when you realize it's us that this thing is about. Loneliness and boredom, like when you realize that God is with like us, that loneliness gets overridden and transforms your experience of solitude. Like, so if, if we internalize this truth that God is with us, it can actually shape the way that we live our lives, the way that we face situations, the way that we even feel about stuff if we know the truth that God is with us. And I think one of, probably one of my favorite um, Christmas passages is not a typical Christmas passage. It's John chapter 1. Um, the first 18 verses of John chapter 1 are organized and structured in something that's called a chiasm. Um, have you ever heard of a chiasm? Um, it's like the letter chi. Look like this. It's an X. What was that? Did we talk about chiasms last time? Okay, good. Wonderful. So then what's at the center um, what's at the central point of the chiasm of John 1.18? It, like, all of it builds. Um, the way chiasms work is, like, outer rings correspond, and they, like, move inward to the center of the passage. So instead of putting your biggest point at the end, they put it smack dab in the middle. And here's what's at the middle of this passage. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. So this whole idea of Jesus being before there was anything created. The whole idea of like John the Baptist and all of this stuff about light coming into the world, the crux of it is as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And like, what's the functional word in here? Like, it's those who receive him. Because when it comes to like acknowledging that like, that God is with us, I've realized, um, actually, like, when we were talking while we were passing the bucket, like, this clicked for me. Like, even when it comes to joy, I found that for me, joy happens when I, like, intentionally sign up for it. Happiness can happen to me, but joy takes, like, a decision inside of me. And I think when it comes to being with God, like, this is why, like, it's not just that, like, God is somewhere else and we invite him in, but he's always there and we get to, like, intentionally choose to wake up to that reality. Like, we get to receive him. We get to open ourselves to God. That, so that as many as receive him, he gives the right to become children of God. He's already, like, extended the invitation of, like, you're my, you're my kid. I'm with you. I'm right next to you. But there's, like, something that has to happen in us where we're like, yes. I take it. I own it. Yes, that's truth. I'll allow it. Right? There's something that has to shift inside of us. And so, like, I think we have, what, a, a week and a half before Christmas comes around? And it's this time where we think about, like, God being in human history. But, like, in this last week and a half before Christmas, I want, I want us to, like, practice, like, that mental shift. Where we say God is with us, like, right here, right now. Like, allow ourselves to wake up to it. So here's what we're going to do. Um, instead of closing with a song, um, we're going to work on waking up to this reality. Um, and so in order to wake up, I think part of what's necessary is for us to, like, kind of unplug from other things. And so, like, even if you're looking at a Bible or whatever, like, clicking that lock screen might be helpful to you. Um, and I just want you to close your eyes and take a couple of deep breaths. Because even being 
before being aware of the fact that God is here, I think we need to be aware of the fact that we are here in this place. Taking this breath. Sitting in this chair. That I am here. That the people next to me are also here in this space. And now being fully aware that you are here, I want you to think and remind yourself. And even if it sounds silly to tell God something that he already knows, like in your mind, I want you to tell God, God, I know you are here. God, I know you are here. In this breath. with me in this chair, with us in this room. And so God, help us to be continually and firmly rooted in this reality that you are here and that we are here, and that this amazing mystery of the divine, the unspeakable, being present with us, in us, around us, and in our community is truth. Help us to walk rooted in that truth, that you are here and present. And help us to, as often as possible, open ourselves up to receive your presence, to receive this right to be your children. God, help us to be a contagious presence this Christmas season um, so that others can also wake up to your reality. Empower us, fill us, and make us aware. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.